to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. We finally graduated out of chapter 1, and we are in chapter 2 this morning. And so uh, I'm, I'm thankful that you're back after last week, and thankful for uh, just you uh, praying. Many of you were praying for our service this morning, and uh, I just thank you for that uh, greatly. Uh, I'm really excited. I, I say this about a lot of different passages of Scripture, to be honest with you, but Ephesians chapter 2 is close, if not one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It, it really is. I, I just the, the chapter is very strong, very powerful, and uh, very, very thankful for this uh, Scripture uh, that we'll be looking at this morning. And the title of our message is Alive in Christ, Alive in Christ. And, and I hope this morning that, you know, we talked about pain and sorrow, and we talked about, you know, because, look, I, I don't, I don't want to just come and, and just be a... Uh, just being a, uh, a pep rally all the time, you know, when it comes to a church service. I think we got to get into the meat of God's word. I think we need to realize that there's real issues and real problems. You know, unless, you know, you're just in a situation where, uh, you know, it's kind of like that old lady that pulls out in her car. She's causing like 50 wrecks because, you know what, she's just minding her own business. And every, every, all the tragedies happening around her and she's kind of in, uh, she's, she's delusional. You know, and she don't realize what, what she's causing around her. Unless you're in that place, which is a, probably a pretty sweet place to be in, you know, the older I get. Uh, but the thing is, if you're like me, there's always things that my mind is thinking of and just uh, things that I, I'm contemplating in my life. Whether it's dealing with between, uh, things between my wife and I and just taking care of our home. Or if it's dealing with our children uh, as far as raising them and things that they're going through in their life and what we should engage in and what we should not engage in. And just the, our family, there's always family things that are happening. And so, you know, there's always things that are just kind of happening uh, in and through our lives. And so I want us to be real about those things. But I also want us to be able to place a celebration and understand that you, if you're a believer, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are alive in Christ, right? And uh, you are alive in Him. And so that's what we'll look at this morning as we look at these, uh, at, uh, look at these verses uh, today, that we are alive in Christ. And I want to just jump in real quick to verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. And it tells us, it says, And you He made alive. You were dead in trespasses in sin. And, and so before we even move on to the rest of the verses, and before we even get to our first point, just kind of in our summary and understanding of who, his, who is he even talking to or about, the first couple of words he says, and you, and I really believe that it references even in the last chapter of verses 22 and verse 23. In verse 22 of the last chapter, it tells us, and he put all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. And so I believe when he's talking about and you, I believe he's talking about the church. He's talking to you and me. He was talking to specifically the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus. I want us to understand that. I want us to be educated and knowing that Paul is writing to this very specific group of believers in this specific city. But he's also really, it's being a, a lot more general, and he's talking about the universal church, who we are a part of even today, to say that he's writing to us. And so he says, and you, uh, in that first uh, verse, and then also the first, in, continuing on in the first verse, he says, uh, he made alive. He made alive. 
And so uh, he says he's talking to us. He's talking to the church. Excuse me. Also in verse and talking about and you. He's also talking about his body in verse 23. We as the church are part of his body. And he says he this church he made alive. He's not taking a bunch of people who are just no good people have no use for. But he's saying he took he took you out of the grave and he has given you, as we looked at last week, newness of life. He has given us life in the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we ought to walk in that life. And so when he says he, uh, he made alive, he's talking about you and me, that he made us alive. Now, I want you to just turn real quick, uh, still in our introduction, of John chapter 9. I want to look at a couple of examples this morning in John chapter 9 to give us this understanding of what he's talking about. In John chapter 9, Jesus has healed a man that had been blinded, from his beginning, he was born blind, and uh, and he even his parents uh, are in this scene in chapter nine, and and we it's it's really a really a, a, a cool and un, a great situation that is happening here that Jesus takes this man and he uh, brings him in and he tells him to uh, he he rubs dirt. This is a story of him rubbing dirt and putting it on his eyes, and he tells him to go wash his eyes out in this uh, uh, specific place. And he does, and he uh, washes his eyes out, and he receives his sight. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this day, they, they knew Scripture. They knew Old Testament Scripture, but they had not received Jesus as the Messiah. They did not accept him as being the one that God had spoken about in the Old Testament that was going to come. And so everything that Jesus did, they were going against him constantly. And so when Jesus did this... Boy, they were they were just really upset that he had done this. And they said, surely uh, he is just, you know, he's going against God. He's not he is definitely not the son of God. And so they bring his they bring this a young boy that had received his sight. They bring his parents in and they ask they ask him. They ask their parents, excuse me, the Pharisees do. And they kind of really put him on trial. And uh, they go through this situation where the parents say, listen, he's old enough because they knew the parents knew that they were fixing to get in trouble with the religious leaders of that day. And so the parents say, you know what? He's old enough to answer for himself. And so the blind man, he comes in and uh, and he said, listen, I don't know what you're looking for out of me. He goes, I know you're wanting me to say that, you know, it didn't really happen. But he says, all I can tell you, and this is what he tells us in chapter nine, he says, I know that I was blind and now I can see. And so you could say that he shouldn't have done it because of this certain day. You, you could say that he doesn't have the power to do it because, of, because he's not the son of God. But he's like, all I can testify and say is that I was blind and now I can see again. Now I can see. He couldn't see before. And so this is just a testament of God. He, there was an unbelievable change in this person's life because of their encounter with God. It was a drastic change. And then I, I take and I remember the story uh, in John chapter 11, just a couple pages over, that uh, we, we've heard so much about the death of Lazarus, a personal friend of Jesus. Jesus loved, I mean dearly loved, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, those three. And he just, he counted them as dear friends. I love in, in John chapter 11, whenever, you know, in this story, we, you know, I grew up in church. And so I have so many church stories. 
And, you know, I, we, we, I've been to sunrise services on Easter. Y'all don't even know, some of y'all don't even know what sunrise, I see some, some of you that were raised in church. That's getting up on sunrise. I'm talking not getting up, but being at church to see the sunrise, the S-U-N, because the S-O-N sun rose up on that Easter Sunday morning. So you would get up on early, early to get to church for a sunrise service on Easter. And, and then, uh, I don't even know why I was saying that. But anyway, yeah, there was, uh, men, and then we used to do a watch night service. That's the, I see, I see you back there. Yeah, good, at least somebody. A watch night service, that's on, that's on, Jan, on December 31st. You stay up to midnight, the whole church family, from about maybe 7 in the evening to midnight that night, doing games and singing and preaching and all kinds of different things. And, uh, and, and one of the things that they would do is share your favorite uh, scripture that you, you, know, you know or, or have memorized. And so you want to be the smart aleck kid that raises your hand and say, oh, I know one. John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. And Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. He wept because of his friend Lazarus had died. And though Jesus, you remember the story of how four days later that he goes and he resurrects Lazarus from the grave. He calls him out. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave four days late, I mean, four days after he had died. The reason is, is because the first three days, the Jewish tradition was is that the spirit still hovered over to the body. They wouldn't have considered it a miracle or something unique because, well, Jewish tradition teaches that your spirit stays with you three days. Jesus waited four days to come and he raises Lazarus from the grave. And so Lazarus, I think the coolest part of this story is what we don't discuss a lot of times. In the next chapter, in John chapter 12, he tells us in verse 9 through 11 of John chapter 12, it says, now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there talking about Jesus and they came not for Jesus's sake only. They didn't only come to, to, to plot to kill Jesus, but they had also come, it says, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, people saw it and, and understood who Jesus Christ was. And they believed on Jesus because the resurrection of Lazarus. And so now, guess what the Jews' smart idea was? They want to kill Lazarus again. Well, first of all, if you're Lazarus and you spent four days in glory and Jesus call, calls you, I'm like, you know what, Jesus, I'm not sure if I want to go back. If you experience heaven for four days in the presence of God for four days and you're like, that's probably the only time in the world you don't want to hear Jesus' voice. Right. But Jesus calls you, you come back, you enjoy life, and then they're going to say, you know what, Lazarus, we're going to put you to death if you don't quit talking about Jesus. And Lazarus is laughing at them. Has to be. That's very comical. Because you're going to do what? If you kill me, I know the person who can raise me back up. The power is not in your hands. And if you do kill me and he decides to leave me where I'm at, I'm better off in glory than here on this earth. And so it's quite comical, but I want us to understand the resurrection. I want us to understand life in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a vast difference between dead 
and having life. And so let's look at that first point as we turn our Bibles back to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at, again, the first three verses. And we're going to see in the first, in the first three verses of how being alive in Christ is unique. Is unique. It's so funny that in this world that we live in, everybody wants to be different and stand out. Last Friday, I was um, I, I subbed at the school, and I was at the high school for the first part of the day, and then I was at the middle school the second part of the day. And it's so funny, these kids... They all want to be a little different. They all think they're going to stand out. Even with their uniforms on, they all think that they're going to be, you know, they all want to bring a little bit different to stand out. They want to be unique. But in their uniqueness, in just, in, just, in, in just being a person itself, we're all walking about the same way. And, that, and the, these verses show that. And so being a Christian, being a believer, being alive in Christ is actually being unique. Okay, and so let's look at verses one through three. It says, and you he made alive when you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. And this is the key part of it, just as the others. Our world thinks that they're unique, thinks that they're just so sophisticated and just, you know, I have my own personality. I go my own way. I got this whole thing worked out between even whether it's with me or God or just me. I got this thing worked out. But listen, they are just going the way of the world. The Bible's telling us there's nothing unique about that. So when you're alive in Christ, you are actually unique in what this world is and what this world offers. And one of the ways in verse one, it tells us is that you're unique to spiritual things. It says, listen, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. And, and I love the passage. Of course, we, we, if you grew up again in church in Romans uh, 6, 23, we learned the Roman road and it says for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he's telling us that the wages of sin is death, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. We are dead. There's really no difference, not much difference between a person who is dead and another person who is dead. They're dead, right? They, they don't understand what they're doing. They're just, they're going about just doing what everybody else is doing, laying there dead. Now, I think we can understand one difference in being dead is the amount of decay, a person who had just recently died versus a person who has been dead a long time. There's a difference in decay. And I believe that there's people that are really on the, on, on the brink of understanding who they can be in Christ, so close, so on the verge of understanding what it is to be alive. But it doesn't matter how dead you are, as long as, the, as, long as God's still speaking to you, uh, that's what it tells us in the first chapter of Ephesians, that I believe that there's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe you're so-called too far gone. I, you know, many, many people that you will run into, some of you may have thought you were in that boat, that I've done too much, that I've turned too far away, that my sins are just so great. Well, listen, it was not great enough, greater than the blood that was shed for you. And so he tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are now alive, you unique to spiritual things. We can understand, we can grasp, because we are alive in Christ, we can understand how to grasp and understand spiritual things. Let's move on uh, to verse 2 and 3. It tells us that we are unique 
to obedience. It says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Now he tells us that, look, we understand that the things that are coming against us is the world, this old flesh and the devil. The Bible tells us that very clear. That's the things that really come against us, that war against us. And Satan, or whether it's ourselves or just the course of this world, the way it's going, uh, you know, these things will, will teach us and show us of how to be disobedient. But because we're unique in Christ, we're found in him, that we are unique to understand what it is to be obedient to God. To know what it is to obey, to trust him, to obey him, to know what he wants us to do in his life. And with that, continuing on in verse 3, not only unique to spiritual things, unique to obedience, but also unique to purpose. This world is constantly looking for purpose in their life. And understanding, you know, what am, what am I doing? What, what is my purpose here on this earth? And so as a believer, not only should you understand who you are in Christ, but that God has uniquely chosen you and he has given you purpose. And it's not, it's not of being depraved of that and not understanding, but he wants you, continuing on in verse 3, in the second, second uh, sentence, it says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath and in this place of disobedience. But he's telling us here that instead of going your own way and fulfilling the, your own desires, and even in that fulfilling of your own desires, you're trying to find purpose and trying to find pleasure, and it's not there. So now when you are alive in Christ, you know what your purpose is. You're finding out your orders from God. You're not trying to have to figure it out on your own, but you're just trying to get direction from God so you can be obedient to him and know what your purpose is in your life. Continuing on in verse 3 to finish up, he says, just as the others is in a place of being separated and being dead, but now you are, as we said earlier, alive in Christ. So you, you, you are unique in salvation. To know in salvation that God has chosen you, that he has, that word salvation, that's where we find that word being saved. You know, a lot of people who are not raised in church just have a hard time understanding. You know, y'all kind of talk about being saved, being saved. Saved from what? Just not from the penalty or, or the place of hell, but that you are in salvation, that God has saved you, that he has called you, that he has placed you in him in safety and security to know that you are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are raised up with him unto these things and you are unique in the Lord. Continuing on, let's move on. Uh, an old preacher used to always say, if you listen fast, then I'll preach fast. All right. So uh, I hope you're listening fast. All right. Let's keep on going to verse four through six. And we're talking about being unified. I heard uh, I was telling uh, Brother Jake yesterday that I heard a really good message from Francis Chan. I don't typically uh, listen to him, uh, but he was talking about being unified. Man, we need some unification, not only in our church, but for just us, um, uh, just as just as individuals, as believers, uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord. We need to be unified as a church. We need to be unified. You know, even our churches need to be unified. Uh, there's many times that I'll go to uh, L2Can after church. And it's uh, you, you could just feel and, and I'll say this even for us, you know, you can feel the, just a separation in the different churches when it really should be a, a time of, you know, of going to those places and realize, OK, now we're ready to go and face the world as a joint group. We should be armed and ready as a group, as churches 
to face this world. We need to be unified in the church of the Lord as well. And he tells this really clear, you know, and one of the other things that the Lord had really placed in my heart in my personal time of praying and seeing and understanding as a leader of this church, uh, I want to make sure that we know what our mission statement is, that we know where we're going. I think that's what the unification is as well. And so uh, there, there's a passage of scripture uh, in, uh, in Habakkuk, if you do your normal daily devotion out of the book of Habakkuk. But it tells you, it says, write the vision, make it clear. It says when people see it and they read it, they will run, not run from it, but they will run to go and do. And our vision, I believe, is to make disciples in, in, in the in the. In the Great Commission, he tells us to go and make disciples. I believe we are to glorify God. I believe we are to edify the body of the Lord Jesus Christ as well, encourage one another. And I believe these verses really talk about this unification in here. Let's look at verse 4. And the transition happens. All these things that we were dead in, now we are unified in God. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that. I love these three verses. Uh, I think they're so precious and they're just so great. And in that first, in that first verse in this passage, in verse 4, it says, in God's love. Another verse in part of our Roman road of salvation is Romans 5, 8, that the Bible tells us, and talking about in God's love, he says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us <clears throat> in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when he tells us that in verse 4, he says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he had loved us. And I believe that first thing for us, when I say make disciples, <clears throat> that we should do this in a place of understanding that God loved us so much that he did all of this for us, that he died on the cross for us so that we could have a relationship with the almighty God. The one we talked about earlier, to have a friend that sticks closer to the brother, that we can lean on him, that not only for help, but also for guidance in our life. And we should be like the blind man that says, listen, I don't know all these other things that you are saying. All I'm doing is telling you my story is that I was blind and now I can see. And so for us to make disciples is, are we telling that story to anyone? And that may not be knocking on doors, cold, just cold turkey, knocking on doors to strangers, which that's a form of evangelism, and that's great. And it may not be going and standing on a street corner in New Orleans and, and giving the gospel. There's many people that I know that do those things. It may be walking to your neighbor, and it may be sitting down with your children. It may be talking to your friend or your neighbor, just whoever that you are, that's in your circle, and being able to explain, you're not perfect. But thank the Lord you have what we talked about in the first three verses that you, you are unique in the Lord. And this is what's happening in my life. I was blind and now I can see. And so we've got to get God's love out, not only keeping it for ourselves, thank the Lord for it, but to give it out to other people. It was not just designed for us, but it was designed for everyone. And even while we were sinners. See, that's the thing. You know, I, that old song was true when it says, come just as you are. 
come just as you are because we don't need to church people up for them to come and understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is. If you do this, if you quit living in adultery, if you, if you quit living in this situation, you quit drinking and you quit doing all those things. No, come as you are. Come broken, dirty, torn down, all those things. Come. He saves sinners where they are. He loved us in that place. And then when they have the power of God inside of them, that is where the power is to be able to overcome all of those things. Then the sanctification process happens. And so we should be making disciples. And it's not anything crazier than that old blind man. It was just him just telling his personal experience to someone else. What are you going to do, argue with him? You're going to argue with him? I can't tell you, many of you are going to say this. Garen, I can't tell you if they're going to ask me, where did, uh, what's the old question? Where did Cain get his wife? Think about that one for a second. Where did Cain get his wife? They asked me one of those questions, I'm going to be stomped. Stomped, whatever. Stomped, all right, thank you, all right. That's not what we're asking you to, to be or to be that kind of Bible scholar. I want you to know God's word, believe me. But you know what? Listen, this is where I was in my life. I was going nowhere fast. And thank the Lord somebody opened the gospel to me. Last weekend, I was at a men's conference at my brother's church, and uh, there was a young man that said, you know, we had come to church, somebody invited us to come to church, and, and we heard the gospel, and this is what really grabbed me. This was really, really cool. He said, me and my wife, we went home, and we were there for one week, and we were miserable. And we couldn't wait to get back to church. In their own minds, they felt like they had to get back to church the next week, and he said, that was a long week. Because we knew the week before we should have given our life to the Lord. Man, I pray that we become that desperate. And people around us, as they come in, they would hear the gospel and they would be that desperate to say, I'm not going to even wait one week because I need to give my life to God. I need to. And, and for them, they could share that story with someone else and say, this is where I was at. And I gave my life to the Lord and he was on drugs. He was mixed up on drugs and pornography and all these different things. And he says, when I did that now, I am working through those things. I'm a different person from that. He can tell his story. Continuing on in verse five, being unified in these things. This is what should be bringing us together. Since even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together in Christ by grace you have been saved. And he's talking about our spiritual resurrection. Just as Lazarus was raised from the dead, we also should be raised from the dead spiritually. That what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? Are you going to, you going to come after me like Lazarus said? Look, Lazarus said, you know what? My hands are not in your hands. You know, if you kill me, uh, that's because the Lord allowed you to kill me. And if he chooses not to save me in that moment in resurrection uh, like he once did, I'll be okay. And so we have a spiritual resurrection. So we should understand that we should be able to glorify God, make disciples. We should be able to glorify God and we should be in a place of exhortation, exaltation in verse six. He tells us and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I always I don't know why, but I always think of children. I always think of me and my brother and my sister. And I always think of uh, my children, of making them sit together. Children, sit together, right? That's a good timing. Sit together and making them because it's like pulling teeth many times to make them sit together and make them behave. 
together, right? But he tells us in verse 6, real quick, it says, And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We should be able to edify, encourage each other in this, that God has put us together so that we could walk together in him. Let's, let's finish on because we'll, we'll be here all day if we don't. Let's look on to verses 7 through 10 uh, and we'll be done. We are unique in, in being alive in Christ. We are unified being alive in Christ. And lastly, we are unselfish in us being alive in Christ. We are unselfish. Verse 7. Before I move on, I, I've got to remember again me and Brother Jake's conversation. Yesterday we were talking about our children. And children are just a reminder of how worldly and how in nature just what our personalities are. We, the things that we get mad at in our children is, uh, is things that that's what the Lord's trying to beat out of us. I had one of my children, think, they're not in here right now, so thank the Lord for that. But I had one of my children yesterday win in a game. I won, he says, and you didn't. Isn't that just like us? We don't want to just be thankful in what we're at. But we're going to highlight where you're at to make us even look better. I mean, that, that, that's us, right? That's us today. And just the unselfishness. Now, I, very few people, and for good reason, do not like NBA, the NBA. I mean, because you see more selfishness and more political things. But I like uh, watching the Golden State Warriors. There you go. See, there you go. And it really originated from the San Antonio Spurs. That they, the San Antonio Spurs got into a situation where they, were, they had all these superstars on their team whenever Tim Duncan played. This was about 10 years ago. And they were always looking for that extra man, that extra pass. One more pass to the other guy to get the better shot. And that is what makes, even though there's a bunch of superstars on that one team, on the Golden State Warriors, they're always looking for that extra pass. They're unified in the place of, you know what, I'm going to make that extra pass to you for you to get a better looking shot, even though my shot would have been good but your shot's even better. And it's that unselfish play that makes them even greater than just having superstars on their team. To have superstars in a place of being unselfish makes them a really great team. And so as we look at these last group of verses in 7 through 10, the unselfish play that he's teaching us in this passage of Scripture, I pray that we'd be unified in our uniqueness in Christ and that we'd be unselfish, not only to us, but this, to, to this world. Let's look at verses 7 through 10. And it tells us that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his, of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. And so he tells us right here in these first uh, these three verses, he says that it's for God's glory. 
It wasn't, you didn't bring anything to the table for you to be unique. You didn't do anything as far as for you, if there's any unification inside of you, it's because you understand and see that God, has the, God is the one that has done all this work in and through you. And so he's telling us that it is for God's glory. So you know what? You don't have a right ever to boast like that my child did. I won and you did. We're either saved by the Lord or we're, we've chosen to go our own way, which is destruction, which is hell, which is separation from God. And if we're found over here saved and understand and have a relationship with God, it's because we've understood and saw what God has done for us. He is the one that has done all the works so that we can trust in him. And so it's for God's glory. Continuing on in verse 10, two quick points and we're done in this place of unselfishness. He says, for we are his workmanship. So we're unselfish in God's workmanship. And this is in us, that God is doing these things in us. Uh, but he's telling us and continuing on, not only unselfishness in us, but also through us. He says it's for unto created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre, uh, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so he has done these things in us and he's wanting these. He's wanting us to do these things through us. And so I pray this morning as we conclude and as we, and we, we finish up and we're done is to understand. I pray this morning that you are unique in the Lord. Not just in this church of being unique. We're talking about being unique in this world that we're found in Christ. Know where your relationship is with God. Check that box off first. Are you unique or you are, are you walking according to the course of this world? In that place of you being unique and alive in Christ, I pray that we're unified, making disciples, glorify God, and that we're edifying the brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we are being unified in this and that we would share this one common thing to really do the things that God wants us to, again, for his honor and for his glory. And we, may we be unselfish. I pray and I see it just like I gave that example of that basketball team. I see a bunch of superstars. But superstars in their own right doing their own and playing that way of doing uh, of just to get the most out of it for them. Is not is not the greatest achievement for them. It's not their greatest. It's not their pinnacle. It's not where they could be as one great team if they would look for that extra pass. And so I pray through this that we would understand what it, we would see what it is to, for us to be unselfish, that we would understand what it is to be God's workmanship. That we would see, you know what, if I like we talked about last week, if I have to take a back seat to something for somebody else to be in my place, then let us do it. If it means for, for me not to be able to be in worship so I could serve and I can do all these different things, then let us do it. If it means that we've got to go encourage another church because they need the encouragement. And for us, maybe not even to have church because we need to be a church to somebody else. I pray that we'd be strong enough to do it. I want us to be unselfish. I want us to see other people. I want us to, 
take that kind of approach that the Lord is talking about because he wants to do something special in us and he wants to do something special through us. And finally, I'll say in closing is to, for us to, we could preach a whole other sermon just on Lazarus staying in his grave clothes because that's really what these 10 verses are talking about. You were dead and he made you alive, so get out of the grave clothes. Get out of the grave clothes. And when Jesus, you remember when him, when he, whenever, whenever he was raised from the dead, those old grave clothes, they tell us, were folded nice and neatly there in the tomb because he got out of his grave clothes. And for us, we need to walk in newness of life. We need to walk together. We need to go and do the things unified so that this world can see us unified. I've got to say this, and I'm, I'm over my time of what I wanted to. But it tells us, do you realize that it tells us in Scripture that people are going to know who Christ is because of the love that we, that, and the unification that you could see in the church. And the reason that we're not reaching the people around us, the people around us, every time I'm talking with people, they're either choosing a, a denomination or a teaching that they don't really even believe because of a, an experience of some kind, or they're traveling outside of this place, and everybody outside of this place says, De Quincey needs a great church. But we, if we are unified, and we are doing the things that God wants us to do, and we're showing love one to another, there's no telling what God is going to do with Cross Point Community Church in and through our community. And I pray that's where we find ourselves this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We just thank you again so much for who you are. Lord, I pray as we transition in this time of, um, of just response and we sing this song, Lord God, I pray we would take this time to examine our hearts and we examine our lives this morning, Lord God, to see, am I in you? Lord, I know you, you desire a relationship with us. You've done all these things for us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would see you and choose you this morning. I pray for Christians, Lord God, I believe is all in this room. That we would get our lives straight with you. Lord God, that we would go to you. We would lean on you for not only for uh, direction and things that are going on in our life, Lord God, but our purpose that is in you that we would allow you to just show us the way each and, every through, each and every moment of our day. And also, Lord God, for our church, I pray that we would see where we need to be unified even more. Lord God, I pray that the world would be able to begin to see those things and that we, Lord God, would just be excited about what you're doing in and through our lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And thank you for making us alive today in you. Jesus.